Hi. I'm really happy that you guys are in church today. You're going to get to be part of a, a life-changing, record-breaking, amazing day today because I'm going to be preaching this entire sermon with cough drops in my mouth. So you guys right here, just so you know, okay? If you ca- hey, listen, if you catch a cough drop, I'm just going to say, take it back to the Connection Center and we will give you a lifetime of free donuts on Sunday morning. That's how I feel about it. I'm serious. Um, let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. You've given us so much to celebrate. You've done so much for us. You've given us life. And you've called us to a life that's not just a boring, plain, old, dull life. It's, it's, a, it's a new life and a better life. It's an eternal life. It's a life that's rich and satisfying and abundant. So thank you for giving us life, your life. And Lord, I thank you that we can come together and freely celebrate you and remember what you've done for us. Thank you that we can enjoy the company of other people and just be together with our brothers and sisters. And thank you for your word. It's so many things to us, and we need it so much right now. Our lives in this world are so broken, and we need some help in digging out. And so today, will you just open up your word for us? and show us what we need to see and and teach us what we need to learn and change us by the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, today we're talking about depression. And, you know, we've all been, we've all been sad, right? We've all, we've all felt depressed over a death or an illness or a breakup or a bankruptcy or Maybe like when your kids left home or when your kids came back home. <laughs> and we've all, we've all had like, we've all had like a tiny taste, right, of, of depression. But for some people, for some people, depression is, is much more than just being sad at a bad time in our life. Um, it's, it's a constant feeling of, of dread and despair and, and helplessness, and hopelessness, and it's, it's, it's a darkness that just takes away all your feeling, and all of your motivation, and all of your hope. For some people, depression is just an absolute, complete shutdown. It is a debilitating brokenness that makes it impossible to enjoy life, for sure, but even impossible to function normally on the job or in school or in your relationships. And I think one of the things that makes it so hard is that people that really suffer with depression are really good at covering it up and are really good at like kind of smiling through it. In fact, there's a proverb, Proverbs 14, 13 says, laughter can conceal a heavy heart, but when the laughter ends, the grief remains. And you probably know people right now that you think are doing great and you see them and all you see is a helpful, happy, friendly, productive, you know, great friend, you know, funny person, and you would be surprised if you knew that every day is a struggle for them to even get out of bed and that, you know, you just had this nice conversation with them and you thought, yeah, that's it, it was a great conversation and you don't realize that it took everything they had just to talk to you that day. And depression can strike anybody. Um, I've been looking at a lot of statistics in the last couple of weeks about this, but 
it's like it's universal. I mean, it strikes men and women and boys and girls and rich and poor and tall and short. It strikes people who have no faith and it strikes people that have great faith. Just like somebody that has great faith might have cancer, somebody with great faith could really struggle with depression. I mean, the Bible, there's lots of amazing people of great faith who seem to really have struggled with some sort of depression. And David, like the, arguably the hero of the Old Testament, right? The great king, the one that was the man after God's own heart. David, when his son was dying, David refused to eat or drink water or sleep or bathe. When his, when his son finally died, his staff was scared to tell him because they said, man, if this is what he did when his son was sick, what's gonna happen when he finds out that his son has died? I think David was really struggling with depression. Um, Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. <laughs> that's not, I don't want people to say that about me. You know, like, you remember Larry, the weeping preacher? No, that's not, that's not what anybody wants to be, but that's like, that's what he did. He was just so crushed over what happened to Israel. Um, Elijah, I think Elijah might have had some sort of clinical depression, like maybe some sort of chemical thing or hormonal imbalance or something, because his, and maybe you can relate to this, but his mood didn't seem to correspond appropriately to the situation. You know what I mean? We all get up and down, we all get sad, our lives go up and down and our moods go up and down, right? But with Elijah, if you know the story, he got in this, God took care of him, man. He fed, a bird brought him food, right? I mean, he took, God took care of Elijah. He was in, he was the man, right? And now he gets into this like, I don't know, argument with all the prophets of a false god called Baal. And so they had this big showdown on Mount Carmel. You guys know this story? So they, were, they had like a bet. Like, well, we're gonna see which God is the real God and which God can bring down fire and all that stuff. And so 450 prophets of Baal are dancing and cutting themselves and singing and calling for fire and nothing, nothing. Meanwhile, Elijah's like talking trash to them. It's like, oh, maybe your God can't hear you. Try singing louder. <laughs> hey, try cutting yourself a little bit more. He even tells them, maybe your God's in the bathroom and can't hear you right now. Check it out, that's what he said. And this is, a, this is a real, I mean, this is, this is him against them. There's hundreds and hundreds of them. And of course, he calls down fire from heaven. And it is lit up. So he has this incredible victory, right? This amazing, what a rush, right? What a high. If you've ever won like a ping pong match, imagine this, right? It, it's amazing, this huge high that he's on right now. And he goes out and he gets word that this woman, Jezebel, is mad at him and is after him. And you would think at that moment, what you would have done, what I would have said is bring her on, right? Bring her, get her here now. I'll burn her down with the rest of them. I just killed 450 people, and I'm not scared. But instead, he goes into this, like, funk. Like, he's, like, hiding, he's scared. I, I think Elijah had some sort of, like, clinical depression. It can happen to anybody. It can happen to people with incredible faith. In fact, Jesus, in Matthew 26, 38, Jesus said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. I mean, that sounds like depression. And we're such complex creatures. We keep talking about this, but it's hard to know where the depression is coming from. Right, so I'm not a doctor or a terribly smart person, but a lot of doctors and terribly smart people tell us that depression generally comes from one of four directions, right? 
It can be circumstantial. I mean, maybe you just lost somebody that you love. Or, or, or maybe um, you didn't get into your school. Or maybe you just had a bankruptcy. Maybe circumstances like pulled you into depression. Or it can be relational. Maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe you've been lied to. Maybe you've been lied about. Maybe you've been rejected. Maybe you've been divorced. Maybe your kids moved away. Maybe your depression comes from broken relationships. It can also be physical. Maybe, maybe you have a depression that has nothing to do with circumstances. And it has nothing to do with your relationships. Instead, it's brought on by some chemical imbalance or hormonal imbalance or exhaustion or some weird dietary deficiency or something. So it comes from, it can be circumstantial, it can be relational, it can be physical, it can be spiritual. I mean, it, if we're Christians, we, we believe that there is a world that we don't see, right? I mean, inherently, that's what we believe. And the Bible clearly tells us that we're not just fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against spiritual forces, demonic forces that hate us. And Satan comes to kill and steal and destroy, and there's nothing that does a better job of that than depression. There's no place Satan would rather you be than in a pit of depression. I think one of the mistakes that people make a lot of times is we make assumptions about somebody else's depression just based on our own experience. So for example, a secular psychiatrist might assume that all depression must either be chemical or hormonal or some electrical thing in your brain or something like that, and they don't even allow for the possibility that there's a spiritual side to it. Or a counselor could assume that all depression is circumstantial or it's relational, and they might not think as much about the physical side or the spiritual side. And some Christians might assume that depression is always a spiritual issue and not even allow for physical causes. This is where you hear the famous stories of Christians giving bad advice, of somebody saying, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, I'm so down, I'm so depressed, I can't pull out of it, I don't know, maybe there's no hope for me, and that good Christian friend says, well, you know what you need to do, go home and listen to some worship music and you'll be fine. And that's you know, not, not completely wrong, but it's completely incomplete. Um, some of us might assume that depression is always circumstantial. Like, and this is what you hear people say, like, I don't understand. You don't have anything to be sad about. Like, what's making you sad? Get rid of that. Right? What's causing your sadness? Take it away. And then you don't have to be sad anymore. But clinical depression has very little to do with circumstances. You could, you could win the lottery right? on your wedding day when you marry Prince Charming after losing 30 pounds and you made a hole in one, and the Cowboys won the Super Bowl. And I know, it's a miracle, right? And, and you, you, you found the TV remote, right? Everything, everything is good. You can still have depression, and it's hard for people that don't have it. It's hard for people that don't deal with it to really understand it, and that's why I say it's, it's very complex, and it's very hard to understand, and if you have real depression, if, if that is keeping you from living the life that Jesus wants for you, which is rich and satisfying and abundant and full of hope and full of joy, then something's wrong. That's what he created you for. That's what he died to give you. And if that's not what you're getting, so, something is wrong and you should get some help in figuring that out. And, and maybe from several sources, 
you know, maybe you should see a doctor and a counselor and a pastor and a friend and join a support group and a dietitian and a personal trainer. Get, get some help. And we just said this a couple of weeks ago. Getting help is not a sign of weakness. Getting help is a sign of wisdom. If you're depressed, you would be wise to get some help. You would be wise to seek healing in every way, physical, spiritual, relational, circumstantial. So today, I mean, I'm not a doctor, right? I'm not a licensed counselor. I'm just a pastor with some good books and one really good book and some smart friends and a lot of experience dealing with people that struggle with depression. Since I'm not a doctor or a counselor, I'm just a pastor, and since we only have 35 minutes, um, we're gonna focus on one aspect today. We're gonna focus on the spiritual healing, and we're gonna focus on finding hope in God's word. But I also wanna really, really encourage you to seek healing everywhere. If you go back to our uh, Connection Center, they've got this little resource list, and this is just full of great godly resources that can help you if you're struggling with depression. What I'm gonna say today is not the cure for everybody. It's just, it's just a cure, it's just part of a cure. So seek help, go get one of these things. If you don't need it now, you might need it later, or you might know somebody that does need it. So find help. Today, we're not, we're not gonna fix it. But if you struggle with depression, um, if you feel overwhelmed by despair or darkness, if you feel like you're helpless, and you feel like you're hopeless, we're gonna see if we can find some healing and some help and some hope in an encouraging word from the Bible. Um, here's an interesting verse, Proverbs 12, 25. It says, an encouraging word cheers a person up. And that is like, it sounds kind of like oversimplified, right? And, and it is oversimplified, but we're seeking all kinds of healing, right? We're seeking all kinds of help. We're seeking all kinds of hope. And so today, that's what we're gonna start with. We're gonna start with an encouraging word. And we're gonna look at somebody in the Bible that was awesome, and that was a man of incredible faith, an amazing man of God, Jeremiah. Um, you know, I mean, you know the story. Um, God used him to write a book of the Bible, probably a couple of books of the Bible, um, including the book of Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations. And I, we're, not, we're not positive exactly who wrote Lamentations, um, but whoever wrote Lamentations was battling depression. I'll tell you that right now. And it was probably Jeremiah, because his book right before it and this book are kind of the same. They're mostly about lamenting. They're mostly about crying over the fall of Jerusalem and the exile of God's people. And so Jeremiah was a prophet in Israel about 600 years before Jesus came, and so let's get the whole story. So God brought Israel out of slavery in Egypt, right? And he took them to the promised land, and on the way, they went through the wilderness for 40 years. And remember, they stopped at Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai is where God made this, like, first covenant with them that he would be their God, and he would care for them and protect them and provide for them and give them this amazing promised land. And then, like, their part of the covenant was that they were to do all these sacrifices and they were to keep the law. And the purpose of that law, the purpose of them keeping that law was so that they could be so holy that the neighboring countries, so that the Canaanites, remember they went into Canaan, they had to drive out the Canaanites, so all the Canaanites and Jebusites and Jebulites and all the mosquito bites, all the different things around them would see their, listen, they would, they would see their holiness. 
right? And they would be drawn to God. That was the purpose of this covenant that God had with these people. And so their job was to keep the law. But while Moses was on the mountain getting the law, they were already breaking the law, right? They were already creating this golden calf and they were already worshiping it. And there was just 600 years of that. And, and God was just so patient with them. But they just came, once in a while, like they would do good for a while, but they always went back to violence and greed and perversion and pride and worshiping false gods. All through the time of the judges, if you're reading through the, New Testament, the Bible right now, all through the judges, all through the kings, God's people just flat refused to honor God and to keep this covenant. And so God sent the prophets to warn the people, like Isaiah and especially Jeremiah. And what he's saying to them is, look, we made this deal so that we could be together and I love you too much to lose the deal. So I'm, I'm gonna do something to get your attention. You need to turn back to me. You need to come back to me. You need to trust me. And if you don't, I'm, I'm, something, something bad's gonna happen. And after literally centuries of those warnings, he told Jeremiah, you know what, that's it. That's, I'm, gonna, I'll, I'm, I'm gonna grab Israel by the shoulders and shake them right now. And I'm going to allow their enemy, Babylon, uh, to just come in and overtake them. And it is going to be ugly. But the promise was that even in exile, God was going to be with them. And eventually, after 70 years, he was going to bring them home. So Jeremiah kept on begging the people, come on, guys. You know, there's still a chance. Turn back to God. Maybe we can avert this thing. But they, but they wouldn't. And so God kept his word. And around 597 B.C., the Babylonians attacked Jerusalem. And over the course of about two or three years, they, they basically just drug everybody out of Jerusalem. And, and, and they burned down the city, and they trashed the temple. And they called Jeremiah the weeping prophet because so much of what he writes is this lamenting, right? It's this crying. It's him saying, what do we do? You know, look what happened. Why, what were we thinking? Why didn't we listen? Now we got what we should get. Our families are torn apart and our people have been raped and kidnapped into slavery and killed and our, our holy city, our holy city has burned to the ground. And this amazing temple that Solomon built that was supposed to be a tribute, a symbol of God's holiness. It was supposed to be a symbol of, of Israel's relationship with God. This amazing, beautiful temple was in rubble. And Jeremiah just looks at the scene. There's smoke rising up, right? It's just a mess. And it's totally depressing to him. And so I want you to look at what he writes and listen for signs of what may be depression. Lamentations 3, 1. He says, I'm the one who has seen the afflictions that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. He's led me into darkness, shutting out all light. He's turned his hand against me again and again all day long. And he's made my skin and my flesh grow old. He's broken my bones. He's besieged and surrounded me with anguish and distress. He's buried me in a dark place like those long dead. He's walled me in and I cannot escape. He's bound me in heavy chains. And though I cry and shout, he has shut out all my prayers. And he's blocked my way with a high stone wall and made my road crooked. He's filled me with bitterness and given me a bitter cup of sorrow to drink. He's made me chew on gravel 
He's rolled me in the dust. Peace has been stripped away. And I've forgotten what prosperity is. And I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything I hope for from the Lord is lost. And the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words, so I will never forget this awful time as I grieve my loss. If you want to know what depression looks like, like this dude is textbook, right? He feels like God is against him. And, and the truth is God is allowing this thing to happen, but it's not because he's against him. He's trying to save them, right? But, but to him, it just feels like everybody, even God, has turned against him. And it's not only affecting the way he sees God, it's, a, it's affecting the way he sees everything. Because look what he says. Everything is dark. All light is shut out. It's even affecting him physically. His bones, he talks about, even his skin is dying. He feels like, like, like there's no way out. He says he's surrounded by anguish and distress. He feels like he's completely isolated. He feels like he's completely al uh, alone. And to him, it feels like he's under attack. He says God is attacking him. He said people are laughing at him. And his sadness and his bitterness is literally beyond words. He says hey, he can't even talk about it. He feels completely helpless. He feels completely hopeless. He says, everything I ever hoped for is lost. I will never get past this. And that's it, man. That's a picture of depression. And Jeremiah is feeling it for real. And if that sounds familiar to you, and if you can kind of relate to that, if you, if you felt crushed and broken and lost and helpless and hopeless, then you know, we're, we're going to pray for you. And you should also seek to participate in your own miracle, like we talked about a few weeks ago, by seeking healing from every available resource, doctors and counselors and medicine and changing your diet, changing your sleep, getting more sunlight. But today, again, we're specializing, right? We're going to look specifically for an encouraging word something like what gave Jeremiah hope in the middle of all that hopelessness. Because I want you to see the shift that he makes here. So that last verse we read, or two verses, um, 19 says, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. And in the very next sentence, verse 21, he says, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin fresh every morning. And I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. I think the, the encouraging word that cheered Jeremiah up seemed to be about the faithfulness of God. It's like this idea of God's faithfulness like came in and kind of crowded out all of the other depressing thoughts and things that were happening to him. I think God's faithfulness, I think, was Jeremiah's encouraging word, and it, and it cheered him up. And so today I want to offer you a couple of encouraging words that I hope will crowd out some of your depressing thoughts and your depressing stuff. And look, these words are probably not going to instantly completely fix your situation, but I hope that you will find what Jeremiah found, a little healing 
and a little help and a little hope in these encouraging words. Here's the first one. Your emotions are valid. Your emotions, if you're depressed, your emotions are valid. If you struggle with depression, you've probably heard lots of unhelpful advice. Like, uh, you have nothing to be sad about, right? You have, what, why don't you just take away that thing that's making you sad? And they're saying that, like, not out of, like, they're not trying to hurt you. This is just, this is just ignorance. Because they don't understand what you're going through. And to them, they think, like, there's something that is the sole cause of your depression. So it's hard to understand, but the fact that people don't understand it doesn't change what you feel. Depression's real. Depression's real. What you're feeling is real. And it's hard. Your, your emotions are valid. And, and they, they're real, and, and they matter. In fact, naming them is actually helpful. Saying what you're feeling is actually helpful. Look, Jeremiah didn't hold back, right? He, t- he felt like God was making him eat gravel, right? He didn't, he didn't hold back at all. He, he's talking about his feelings, and it turns out that he's right. Because now we know, studies have shown, that people are a lot more able to overcome anxiety and depression when they name it, when they call it what it is. So instead of, like, disguising your feelings or, you know, lying to yourself or lying to your friends about your emotions, call it what it is. And just, your, your emotions are valid. Just say, I'm depressed. I'm sad. I'm feeling helpless right now. I'm feeling hopeless right now. I'm mad at God right now. I feel like God is making me eat gravel right now. Because naming your emotions can open the door to changing your emotions. Naming your emotions can open the door to changing your emotions. Your emotions, your emotions are valid, but they're not permanent. You hear that? Your emotions are valid, but they're not permanent. We've all felt the volatility of emotions, right? We've all had that, I mean, I felt like I felt great, and then all of a sudden I felt terrible. I felt terrible, then all of a sudden the next day I felt great. And that's because, I don't know, something changed, or I ate a good meal, or I got a good night's rest, or something. I had it this week. So this week, like everybody in this room, I went to Home Depot, right? So my chainsaw's dead, and that's it. I prayed, it's dead. It's not coming back. And so I went to Home Depot to buy a chainsaw, along with 5,000 of my closest friends, right? So I go in that aisle, it's like buying groceries in Russia, man. There's nothing on the shelves. There's nothing in there. And, I t- and I've been wanting to get one of those electric chainsaws. I thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this is a good time to try it out. I'm just gonna get one. So I had in my mind which one I wanted. I did all my research and I go in there, like I'm just gonna hand them the thing and they're gonna give me one, you know? And, I, and I, I'm looking for this certain one and the guy working there just starts laughing. He goes, dude, we don't have any chainsaws. And I said, oh, well, it doesn't have to be that one. And he goes, no, we don't have any chainsaws. And we don't have any chains. And we don't have any saws, you know? Get out, you know, you're wasting your time. And there's just all these people crying on that aisle. What are we gonna do? And so like, I was all sad. I looked up to the heavens and at a corner of my eye, on the top shelf, up there with those shrub trimmers that nobody really wants, right? I looked up there and I saw a box. And I said, praise Jesus, I think that's I think, that's my, I think that's my chainsaw. And so I told the guy, what, what, what is that? What's that up there? And he goes, dude, you're wasting your, wait, what? 
it's like a miracle, right? And so he goes that ladder thing that they push, he pushes it over there, and he climbs up there, and he holds it up, and he holds it like the Lion King. He like holds it up, and everybody, oh, yes! Everybody's cheering, isn't it wonderful? And so he gives me this chainsaw, and I'm telling you, as I walk to the front of the store, I thought people would be mad at me. People were clapping. Way to go, dude! Yeah! You got one! Yeah! You do it for all of us, man! Right? And so it was a, just this wonderful moment of elation and euphoria. I felt so happy. Life is worth living now, right? So now I get up to the, to the checkout stand, and I said, oh, i got to get some bar oil. I don't have any oil at my house. And so I told the girl, oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, you hold this, right? I'm not walking back through those people. You hold this. I'm going to go get me some chain oil, and I'll, and I'll be back in two seconds. And she goes, oh, we don't have any chain oil. It's like, what? What happened to my miracle, right? And then it was just this roller coaster. You know that feeling? Maybe they'll have it at Tractor Supply. <laughs> no. And so, well, maybe they'll have it at the Tractor Supply in Blanco. And the guy told me, look, there's, there's one Tractor Supply in Texas that has it right now. It's in Pleasanton. He said, by the time you get there, they won't have it. <laughs> so he looks me right in the eye and he goes, you're not getting chain oil today. I say, so you see what happened to me, right? It's up and it's down and it's up and it's down. And it's all circumstantial. But I mean, my moods are just like a roller coaster. If you've got kids, you've seen this. Isn't that what your kids do? I mean, they're so happy. And then they're so sad. And then they're super mad. And then they're happy again. And they're, they're eating a cupcake. And it's like just this, everything... Everything is awesome, right? It's just, uh, this guy, they're, they're so happy, and it's all over their face, and they're in this, like, sugar-induced euphoria, and everything's great, and then a few minutes later, the cupcake's gone, and the euphoria's gone, right? And it's replaced with some kind of demonic activity, <laughs> and their head is spinning around, right? This, and you see it in kids. Listen, we see it in kids. It's obvious in kids. But it happens for all of us. Our emotions ebb and flow, right? They rise and they fall with what we eat, our circumstances, how we sleep, I mean, how much sun we get, and they change at the drop of a hat. So it's important to remember this. Your emotions are valid, but they're not permanent. And here's why that's important. There may be times when you're feeling so depressed that you feel like giving up too soon. You feel it. It's valid. You feel it. It's valid emotion. You feel like giving up too soon on your marriage or on this job or on this friendship or on this person or on God or on yourself or, or on your life. And you have to remember this emotion is real and this emotion is valid, but it's not permanent. So we don't make permanent decisions based on temporary emotions, okay? We don't make permanent decisions based on temporary emotions. Too many times people who are depressed make irreversible, unfixable, permanent decisions based on an emotion that was probably going to go away the next day. And some of those decisions can't be undone. So... If you are really looking for healing, if you really want help, if you're really seeking hope, give a miracle a chance to happen and don't make a permanent decision based on a temporary emotion. Your emotions are absolutely valid, 
but they're not permanent. Also, when you're depressed, you may feel alone. It's a really common thing that people are depressed. They feel alone. Um, Jeremiah said he felt like he's walled in. This guy's like a brilliant writer. That's the feeling, right? He feels like he's walled in, and that's a really common uh, conversation for people that struggle with depression. They feel isolated. They feel alone. They feel like nobody cares. And I think sometimes it's hard to tell which comes first and which causes which. Does the depression cause these feelings of isolation or does the isolation cause the depression? And I'll tell you what didn't help with this is the pandemic, right? Because isolation just had devastating effects on our health, including our mental health. And this whole, this whole concept of quarantine was just so hard on us because that's not what we were created to do, right? We weren't created to do life in isolation. We were created to do life together. And Satan is the enemy of life, right? And so he would love to get you to feel like you're the only one dealing with this. You're the only one that's going through this. You're the only one that knows about this. Nobody cares. Nobody can help you. You may feel alone. But the truth is, you're never alone because God's with you. And I think that's what turned Jeremiah around is remembering that even though they were in exile and even though things were ugly and horrible and dark, and even though he was depressed, God was in this with him. Um, look at that verse 21. It's an amazing turnaround here. He says, yet, he just got through saying, I'll never get over this. I'll never get over this. And then he says, yet, I still, this is so good, dare to hope when I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. So this uh, faithful love, this word um, is a really cool word in Hebrew. It's the word hesed. And in fact, if, you, if we have like 10 different Bibles in here right now, 10 different versions, we're probably gonna get 10 different translations of this word because this is a word so amazing that apart from knowing God, I don't know if you can understand what this word means because it's a, it's a super complex, it means a lot of things. It means love, but it's so much, it, it means it's like got an element of like faithfulness. It's got an element of endurance. It's got an element of like loyalty. Um, this is a love, like maybe yours says loving kindness. Like they're trying, they're just trying to come up with a word that works. But it, it, it's a love, it's a love you can depend on it's a love that's not going anywhere. That's pretty good right there. Um, when Jesus said he would never leave us or forsake us, that's, that's hesed. And we, we can see hesed. We can see this faithful love in the stories in the word, right? We see it over and over. He's so faithful to Israel. Um, we can experience it in his spirit, in his presence, um, when, we're, when we're praying, when we're interacting with God. And we can experience it in his people who are filled with his spirit. Um, and I think it was weird. I think Jeremiah actually believed in God's faithfulness partly because of the exile. Even as horrible as the exile was, it's like God said it would happen, and it did. And he said it was gonna be ugly, and it was. So when he said, I will be with you in exile, and when he said, I will someday bring you home, I think Jeremiah believed him. And I think that gave him some hope. And I, I think that, cheered him up. He was, he was depressed, and his situation was bleak, but God said he would be with him in Babylon, and God said he would eventually bring him home, and Jeremiah could believe that because he had seen the faithfulness of God to love and protect and provide and to keep his word. 
When you're, when you're depressed, you may feel alone, but you're never alone. You may feel alone, but you're, you're not. You're with a God who is love. You're with a God who is loyalty and faithfulness and power. You're with a God who's always kept his word and who always will. And his promise never was that we wouldn't struggle in this life. Jesus said we would struggle in this life. His promise was that someday he was going to come back and fix it. His promise was that someday he would come back and restore his good world. His promise was that even in, in, in the middle of this darkness and in this depression, that he would be with us to comfort us and to encourage us and to empower us to keep going, even when it's darkest, even when it feels loneliest. God is with you in his word and in his spirit and in his people. You may feel alone, but you're not. There are many, that's what Elijah said. I'm the only one. Remember that story right after, right after the Carmel deal? He says to God, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that's still faithful. I'm the only one that still believes. It wasn't true. It wasn't true. It felt true to him. You may feel alone, but you're never alone. There are people full of the Spirit of God that love you, that care about you, that want to help you, that have resources for you. Counselors and doctors that want to help. That's what I'm saying. Get this resource list. It's full of people that love you. It's full of people that are godly people that are full of His Spirit that want to help you. Um, in your life group, you're not alone, right? If you're in a life group, there are people in your life group that hopefully don't want to give you bad advice. They want to listen to you and they want to pray with you. Um, you're not alone. I'm happy to talk to you. I'm happy to talk to you and, 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 and pray with you and listen to you. You're, you're not alone. If you struggle with depression, oh, if you struggle specifically, here's a good one. If you struggle, if you struggle specifically with depression over grief, maybe, maybe you've lost your wife or you've lost your husband or, or your parents have died or a child has died or a friend has died, then we have a great support group that's starting this next week. It's called Grief Share. And Grief Share is specifically for you. If, if you love somebody and they passed away and you're struggling with working through that, that's what Grief Share is all about. It's, it's, it's a support group full of people who have experienced real loss, and it's led by people that have experienced real loss. And it's for people that have really experienced loss. And so we got a table in the lobby today. Just go out there and just sign up. Man, we would love to have you join us for Grief Share. Depression, depression is hard. It's hard, and it's too hard to take on by yourself. And Satan would love nothing more than to isolate you, right? Just like you've seen the lions chasing the deer, right? The impalas or whatever. What do they do? They get one off by itself. And that's exactly what he would love to do to you. He, he would love for you to think that you're alone. But he's a liar. You may feel alone but you're never alone. Sometimes when you're depressed, um, your situation feels hopeless. And I think one of the great differentiators between real depression and sadness is, is this feeling of hopelessness. I'm like, um, one of the saddest times in my life was when my dad died. And when my dad died, I was really sad and I was really kind of overwhelmed by it. And I cried a lot. I wasn't much good for anything for a while. And it was really, really, really hard. But even in that, I still had, I don't think I was really truly depressed. 
because I still had a little bit of hope. You know, I knew he was okay. I knew he's in heaven. I knew I was going to see him again. And I really always kind of thought, you know, this stinks, but someday it's going to get better. And someday everything's going to get better. And I think I can still live a happy life. And I think with, with real depression, with really crippling depression, there's this feeling of hopelessness. There's this feeling like, you know what, maybe it's not going to get better. Maybe this is as good as it gets. And I think that's what Jeremiah, look what he said. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Do you, you sense that like hopelessness in that? But he found hope in the faithfulness of God. Because he said, I'm hopeless, man. I'm never, never going to get over this. This is going to always be with me. But he says, yet I dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love that has said of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin fresh every morning. And I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. And therefore, I will hope in him. And what I really like about Jeremiah, he's not saying the problem isn't real. And he's not saying the problem isn't huge. And he's not saying the problem isn't totally depressing. What he's saying is, as big as my problems are, and as big as his depression is, it is not bigger than the faithful love of my God. And I think Jeremiah is onto something really big here, um, self-talk. I think he invented it. Look what he says. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. I can see him looking in the mirror in the morning, right? He's probably got a, a little sticky note on his mirror in the morning, right? I'm going to say this over and over all day long. I'm going to remember this all day long. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, since I say that, I will hope in him. When you're, when you're depressed, it is so easy to just fall into this pattern of just rehearsing your hopelessness, right? And thinking about how hopeless it is and talking about how hopeless it is and obsessing about the darkness that's all around you. And you know, here's a true statement. The voice you hear most is your own. Huh? The voice you hear most. You may hear people positive things, negative things, you read the word over here, you heard a sermon over there, but the voice you hear most is your own, and sometimes that voice is pretty negative. And so it's really easy to just to continue to, like, remind yourself. It's, it's easy to just to continue to convince yourself that everything is hopeless. And there is power in speaking the truth of God's faithful love over yourself. There's, there's incredible power in reminding yourself what he did. Even when my situation seems hopeless, with God, there's always hope. Because no matter how big your problem is, our God is bigger. Right? No matter how dark our depression, no matter how deep our despair, we can say like the poet in Psalm 121, right? Our help comes from the Lord. This is big. This is hard. This is dark and black and bleak and depressing and awful. It's a big, big, big deal. But our hope comes from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who always keeps his promises, the one who loves me completely. He's like a shield around me. He's the lifter of my head. He's an ever-present help in the time of, of, of trouble. He's close to the brokenhearted. He gives grace to the humble and the hurting. That's what I am right now. 
And, and you know what? Nothing, nothing can separate me from his love. Nothing, can, not angels or demons. These are all scriptures. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Not angels or demons or life or death or fears for today or worries about tomorrow. Not my circumstances, not my depression, not the darkness around me. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate me from the love of my God that is through Christ Jesus my Lord. He is my refuge. He is my strength. And I know, I know in this darkness that he will heal me one day. That he will take away the depression. That he will take away the darkness. And he will completely heal me. And he will heal this broken world. And meanwhile, he's with me. And I'm in him. And his faithful love, his said, never ends. His mercy is always new. And therefore, it's like Jeremiah said, right? All this is true. All this is true. And therefore, I will hope in him. My situation may seem hopeless, but with God, there's always hope. Depression is a complex problem. And there are no simple solutions. But there are lots of ways to get help through doctors and counselors and medicine and changing your diet or exercise or sleep patterns. So I say, get one of those resource lists and, and those things can help you. But I'm hopeful that today maybe your healing and maybe your help and maybe your hope at least starts with just an encouraging word to remind you that your feelings are valid, but they're not permanent. And you may feel like you're alone, but you're never alone. And your situation may feel hopeless, but with God, there's always hope. Let's pray. Father, today I know there's, man, I've seen the statistics. There's a bunch of people in this room right now that are struggling with real depression, not just some sadness, real depression. And it's, and, it's, and it's taking away what you came to give them, a rich, satisfying, abundant, joyful life. And so, Lord, man, we just, we're not afraid of you. We know who you, you're our Father, and you're all-powerful. And so we're just asking you now, in Jesus' name, to take it away. Just, I'm asking for healing. And Jesus did it in his body. We are his body. There's no reason to think it can't happen now. So we're asking you to heal depression in this room, in these people, in their families, in their friends. God, we ask in Jesus' name that you would heal depression. Whether you do that medically or naturally or supernaturally, man, that's your business. But we are asking you for healing. And God, we know that ultimately you will heal us. And some of us who are going to have to wait. Some of us aren't going to get healing until the day that you come back. And for those people, God, I just pray that they will sense your presence that they will always remember that they are, it may feel like they're alone, but they're not. God, I pray that you will remind them every single day that things may seem hopeless, but they're not. There's always hope with you. God, our emotions are real and they're valid and they're painful, but they're not permanent. And so remind us not to do anything permanent, not to make a permanent decision based on a fleeting emotion. God, remind us that you're with us. Remind us of the people that are with us. God, remind us of the hope that we have in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.
Okay, this is my final pitch of the day for my resource list. Go to the Connection Center, get one of these and put it on your fridge. Also, seriously, if you've lost someone and you're trying to figure out how to process that, you should really think about this class. It's called Grief Share. Is Richard, what is it, 12 weeks? Where'd he go? He left, he went out to the table. I think it's 12 weeks. Be super, super helpful for you to take. So if you're struggling with depression over a loss, check out Grief Share. God bless you guys. Have a great week.